Let's thank God for the word. Let's thank God for Ephesians. The focus is about to shift a little bit here. We've talked about being in him. We've talked about being alive in Christ, how us crazy Gentiles are grafted in. Now we're part of the family of God. Now we're going to focus a little bit on Paul's ministry as he uh, just lays out his ministry and his uh, apostleship and how he views himself. So, Father, we thank you tonight for the book of Ephesians. Father, I thank you tonight for my brothers and sisters that are here because they're hungry for the word and they, they want to be refreshed. And so, Father, as we've worshipped you and the word is about to go forth in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, refresh us. Send each of us home, Lord God, with a deposit from your heart. And, Father, let it revive us and restore all the things that uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday have eroded away, Lord, so that we can uh, stay fresh and be excited about serving you. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the administration of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before briefly. Listen to verse 4. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to mankind as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the work of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is, which for the ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So powerful, powerful text there, 1 through 9 of Ephesians chapter 3. As I said, we've journeyed through chapter 1 and 2, being made alive in Christ. We talked about being in him. We talked about uh, being alive in him, chapter 2. Now the focus shifts in chapter 3 a little bit onto Paul's apostolic ministry. It's appropriate for Paul to define his role as it pertains to the gospel. And, you know, as the focus is shifted here, we've, we're talking about Gentiles. We are mostly Gentiles. Unless you're Jewish, you're a Gentile. So before this grafting in, before being made alive in Christ, we were excluded without hope in the world. But yet now we are part of the family of God. Anybody excited tonight? Good to be part of the family of God. So Paul's ministry was unique as it was amazing. You've heard me say many times, there is absolutely nobody like the Apostle Paul, amen? He's a, he's a good role model. It's amazing what the world says are, are the role models we should look up to. You know, this is a role model, or this person, or this red carpet person, or this athlete. And you know what? Many of these people say that, that I'm not a role model, just don't follow me. But yet we put these people up on pedestals and we say those are our role models. Now, as much as we shouldn't even venerate and put anyone up on a pedestal, I say the Apostle Paul is a good one, uh, you know, to model our Christian service after, amen? As when you look at the apostles, 
you know, uh, he was the apostle of all apostles. Uh, he had four missionary journeys. He brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He testified to every significant po- political leader in the region. He gave them the gospel. He reasoned with them. He laid out the scriptures with them. He went in the synagogues and he reasoned with the Jews. He endured imprisonment, hardship, shit shipwreck, beatings. He was stoned, and eventually he was martyred. And still, uh, during all of that, he manages to pen two-thirds of the New Testament, much of it from prison, much of it in chains, without complaining. In chains, writes Philippians, uh, the epistle of love. If we were locked up and in chains and under house arrest and shipwreck and snake bit and beat and stoned, what kind of mood do you think we'd be in? Not loving. Paul's an amazing apostle, and uh, the grace of God revealed in his life this man who was persecuting the church and uh, arresting Christians and killing Christians, God turns him around and makes him the most powerful apostle that ever lived. Now, verse 1 starts off as Paul identifies himself. Look what he says. Not just as a minister, not just as a servant, but as the prisoner of Christ. Listen to this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Notice that. Uh, The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. So he's identifying himself not as a minister. I, I am the apostle Paul. Not even, you know, I'm, I'm a minister of the gospel. Not even I'm a servant of the Most High. I'm a prisoner in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're feeling this, that ratchets it up a few levels, doesn't it? To say that you're a prisoner. Now, Paul's not being melodramatic. He's not being rhetorical. He, he's not, you know, he's being honest. This is the way he views himself as a prisoner of Christ. That ramps things up. Most of us don't see ourselves as prisoners when it comes to serving Jesus. Maybe we see ourselves as servants or disciples, but prisoners, I mean, that's a different mindset, I want to tell you right there. You know, you guys are looking at me like, oh, no, we think that about ourselves. You know, but the rest of the people who aren't here, you know, the, the most of Christianity doesn't view themselves as a prisoner of Christ, as a bondservant, as a slave to the gospel, Yeah, Paul had this mindset, and, you know, mindsets are important because how we view ourselves determines how we act and how we serve and how we relate to God. You know, if if we have a different image of ourselves that, you know, we're independent, we can do what we want, you know, we're saved by grace, but we get to live our own way, you know, that's going to dictate the fruit that's produced in our lives. How we think about ourselves is important. Paul saw himself not as a servant, not as a minister, not as an apostle, but when it got down to it, as a prisoner of Christ. Now, he saw himself as a prisoner to a specific group. His spiritual incarceration, as it were, was completely for the sake of what he says here, for the sake of you Gentiles. So I'm a prisoner to the gospel. Why? Because I have this amazing burden to reach the Gentiles. And understand, the Gentiles were not even play before. You know, here's a Jewish man who is saved and becomes uh, born again. He becomes part of the uh, early church apostolic ministry, and he starts off ministering to the Jews in the synagogue, but then there is a cataclysmic shift that takes place in the spiritual realm, and the gospel starts going to the Gentiles, and they receive it. 
and they receive the Holy Spirit, and they, they, they get born again, and, the, and all the early church fathers are like, uh, what do we do now? Understand, this is a huge shift, something that in the Jewish mind was not even possible for hundreds and thousands of years. They were God's people. They were the ones of the covenant promises. They were the ones who were connected to God, and everybody else was on the outside looking in. Now, here's Paul. He says, I'm a prisoner, and my incarceration is all about you Gentiles. Remember, Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a brilliant, highly educated, well-groomed, respected, accomplished Pharisee. Just a short while ago, he would have had a healthy disdain for everything that had to do with Gentile culture from top to bottom. He wouldn't associate with them. He wouldn't eat with them. He wouldn't fellowship with them. He certainly wouldn't bring the scriptures to them. Here is this man educated under Gamaliel, you know, one of the brilliant uh, theological scholars of the day, well-trained in the scriptures, well-accomplished, and all of a sudden, uh, on a dime, God flips his life around, and now he has this burden for the Gentiles that, in his view, makes him a slave to the gospel. It's a huge shift in his life. Paul's life has been confirmed completely flipped around with this burden that he now carries. He used to have disdain for this culture. Now he loves them and considers them brothers and sisters in Christ. He sees himself as a prisoner for their sake, and his heart burns with passion to bring the gospel to them because every time he does, under the power of the Holy Spirit, it produces fruit, and people are receiving it, amen? Understand how refreshing it was for him. As a preacher, every time he went into the synagogue, all he got was arguments and fights and people coming at him and accusing him of all kinds of things. He got thrown out, beat up, stoned. And he says, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. I, I brought it to you guys first because it's to the Jew first and then the Greek, but you know what, I'm gonna go preach to the Gentiles. And now it's success after success after success. The Gentiles are excited about this, that now they're included, the inclusivity of the gospel, that, and they, they, they are hearing it, and they are receiving it, and they're repenting, and they're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. What an exciting time as the church is built. So this incarceration that Paul has as a prisoner of Christ is all about the Gentiles the Gentiles that he formerly ignored and saw as disconnected from God now are becoming brothers and sisters. And I want you to see something. Paul goes from not even caring at all about this group to being on fire to reach them. Never doubt for a minute what God can do in a person's heart. Never doubt for a minute what God could do in your own heart. You know, many of us, we just, we change and we grow and we don't even realize our growth. You know, it's like, it's like our children, they grow in front of us and we don't notice it, but then relatives come over and they go, oh, they got so big. And we're like, yeah, they look the same to me. Eating all my food and... But we can grow, we can change, we can, we can shift in our lives. 180 degrees shift Paul is completely turned around. Never doubt for a minute what God can do in someone's life, in your life, in someone else's life. There are many people that, you know, we look at and go, man, <laughs> amen. You, you ever looked at somebody and go, there's no way God can save that person. 
you know, there used to be, when I was in this church, I got saved here at 14 years old. I was in youth group. There was a couple kids in youth group, and, and I don't know how else to describe it, but they were bad. Bad kids. And there was a, there was a, a guy on staff, uh, his name was Brother Al, and there was this one guy, Gary Wilson, that is now a pastor. And I remember Brother Al going, if God could save that guy, it would be a miracle. And, he, and we, the, a lot of people were like, there's just no way. This kid's, you know, he's headed for trouble. He's headed for jail. And you know what? He actually did get in trouble and was headed to jail. And listen to this. They said, you can either go to jail or you can go to Elam Bible Institute. So apparently the school I went to is just one step below jail. <laughs> but he went, and God transformed his life, and he's a pastor still to this day. Amen. We use, his, we use him as an example of that God could save anyone. God could turn anyone around. If he, if he could take Paul and knock him down and pick him up and, and restore him and make him the greatest apostle that ever lived, uh, he could do it for me. He could do it for you. He could do it for your loved one that you've been praying for. He could do it for your coworker that you've been praying for. He could do it for your crazy neighbor that needs salvation. Come on. God can turn anyone's life around on a dime. If there's breath in their lungs, there's still hope. Verses two and three contain two phrases we're gonna zero in on. Listen to verses two and three. If indeed you have heard of the administration of God's grace, that word, the administration of God's grace, look at that, which was given to me for you, that by revelation, it says in verse three, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before you briefly. So the administration of God's grace, we're going to take a look at that here, and then also the revelation uh, we're going to talk about here. It, it, how many people have the gift of administration? Kim, raise your hand. Kim has an amazing gift of administration. She can organize and put together and strategize, and she can get my clothes to match is a miracle. She has the socks, she has the hat, both black. Administration is a spiritual gift. And look what it says here, the administration of God's grace. Administration speaks of structure and order. If you have that gift, you know how to structure things. You know how to order things for peak performance, for peak efficiency. Paul acknowledges the fact that God restructured and reordered his life for peak efficiency uh, in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. He restructured and reordered his life with this new grace and this new burden he has burning in him to reach the Gentiles. The administration, understand, God's kingdom is not a kingdom of chaos. God's kingdom is not a kingdom of disorder. Hello. If your life is in chaos, if your life is in disorder, that's not the way God wants it. I'm not saying we're, we're going to face, we're not going to face things that are chaotic. I'm not saying that we're even going to go into situations that are chaotic. I'm saying inwardly, our spirits, our spiritual walk needs to not be marked by chaos, but by order. When we're in God's perfect will, there's order. In fact, when we're in order, we can walk into a chaotic situation and bring peace to it. You ever notice people like that? You know, they're, they're, they're right with God, they're walking with God, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they walk into the middle of chaos, and all of a sudden they bring peace. Wow. And so 
this administration, this idea of ordering and structuring ministry or ordering and structuring the call of God in someone's life, all of us must understand that we need the administration of God's grace in our life, that any spiritual endeavor we attempt must first be God's idea and it must be fueled by his grace or it will fail. Oh, I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to do something spiritual. I'm going to start a foundation. I'm going to start a ministry. I'm going to plant a church. Is that your idea or God's idea? Because if it's your idea, I don't want any part of it because it's going to fail. And I don't want to waste my precious time and my energy uh, constructing something that's not of God's design. So understand, administration is important. If we're going to do anything in the kingdom, it's got to be God's idea. It's got to be fueled by God's grace. Anything spiritual needs grace to have it accomplished. Amen? So when people in the kingdom stop doing their own thing, stop building their own kingdoms, and fully submit themselves to the purposes of God, God, in turn, pours out a measure of his grace upon them that allows them to have the right gifts activated in their life, have the right people attracted to them to come alongside of them. He gives them both the logistical and the financial resources to get the job done. See, when you and I do what we're called to do, God puts the right people around us. Come on. You're doing your own thing. I'm doing, you know, no, why is nobody following me? I'm a leader. Look, if you think you're a leader and nobody's following you, you're not leading. You're just taking a walk. When we're doing God's business, Jesus said, I'm about my father's business. And 12 guys followed him through thick and thin. One was a devil. But they followed him anyhow. And, you know, uh, understand something. When we are doing kingdom things, got to be God's idea, got to be fueled by grace. Otherwise, it will fail. It's amazing that when we fall in line with him and stop doing our own thing, what he activates in our lives. All of us have gifts that, you know, are activated when we're doing the will of God. What I want you to understand is, you know, if we're doing our own thing and we're not having success, we've got to get on our knees in the secret place and hear the voice of God to make sure, you know, we're on the right path. And if not, we need to be humble enough to allow him to recalibrate our lives. You say, well, that's hard, Pastor. You know, that's hard. I'm, you know, I'm getting older. This is it. I'm just going to go. No, listen, stop, because what you can accomplish in, in, in a fraction of the time under his grace with your gifts activated and the right people coming alongside you and the resources of heaven poured into your life is just amazing, and it's worth it. Amen. So... You know, we look at this phrase here about the administration uh, of God's grace, and that's important for us to understand how grace functions in our lives. I hope you were able to grab something out of there. The second uh, phrase that we see is from verse 3. It says, that by revelation. Now, that word revelation should be familiar to us. There is the book of revelation. It's not the book of revelations. It's the book of revelation. I've heard... I've heard People, professional ministers say revelations. It's not revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that word revelation, uh, the, the Greek word for that word that's rendered revelation in English is apocalypsis. And apocalypsis means to disclose, to unveil, or to uncover. 
So when the Bible says revelation, uh, what it's saying to us here is that there is a disclosure of something, there is an unveiling of something, there is an uncovering of something. Revelation is God disclosing and unveiling things to man about himself, about the past, the present, or even the future that were previously unknown. Wow. Revelation. Now, this word gets used out of context. It gets misused in Christendom. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But apocalypsis, revelation, disclosure, unveiling, uncovering. The, the, the revelation here was that what? Now, the Gentiles were going to be part of God's plan. Up to this point, you know, the prophets had alluded to it. Uh, they didn't understand it even when they prophesied it. But at this point, it has come to pass as Jesus Christ has died, risen again, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Now he empowers the church pours out the Holy Spirit, and grafts the Gentiles in. This was unheard of. This is revelation. Why? Because they never saw this coming. They never thought it was part of what God was about to do. But he unveils it to the church leadership, and then he begins to effectuate it through their ministries. Powerful tonight. Revelation. When Paul says the word revelation, he's talking about the hidden purposes of God being communicated to him in a personal way. Do you realize those who penned uh, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, these writers, they weren't just writing their thoughts or their opinions or their theological understandings. No, they were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All of God's word is given under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is not a book written by men. I hear unbelievers and those who would, uh, you know, criticize Scripture or criticize the Bible say, oh, it's just a bunch of stuff written by men. Absolutely not. If you think that, you've never tried to apply it to your life because I guarantee, unlike any other book, it will change you from the inside out if you apply these precepts, these precepts and principles to your life. Oh, the Bible's just a book. And I dare you to, to live it, to apply it to your life, to take it to heart because it'll change who you are. So revelation was something that Paul understood why the Holy Spirit's moving through him, penning scriptures, penning epistles. These aren't the writings of Paul. This is God's word communicated through man to us. It's inspired by God. It is the Holy Scripture. It's the word of God, and it comes by revelation. Now, notice that in the latter half of verse 3 and verse 4, there's this phrase used here, the mystery, and it's used a couple times. We're going to see it used a couple times here. But, but notice this as I read it, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before briefly. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So th there's, a, there's a couple mentions of mystery here. We need to take a look at that. Um, obviously, revelation, God uncovering things to us that were unknown before. Uh, is an interesting thing, but this phrase mystery needs to be looked at here, to be made known the mystery, into the mystery of Christ. There is a sense for all of us that discovering God's unique plan for our lives includes some degree of mystery. All right, let me say that again. For all of us, discovering God's plan for our life includes some degree of mystery, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know how our lives are going to end up. I just did a funeral today. We, we, we don't know when, we're, when God's going to call us home and we're going to be with the Lord. 
We don't know, you know, when you're young, there's your whole life's laid out before you. What am I going to do with my life? What's going to be my vocation? Who, am I going to get married? Am I going to be able to trick someone into marrying me? And then, you know, praise God. And then, uh, some of you don't understand. But, you know, am I going to have children? Where am I going to live? All of this stuff is a mystery. You, you don't get born and the doctor smacks you on the butt. You take your first breath and they hand you a blueprint and a manual. Here you go. Here's your life. It's all laid out. This is, you know, all X, Y, and Z, and this. Oh, and that's when, and now, oh, what do they look like? Oh, it's upside down. Yeah, oh, that's good. Oh, I'm going to have kids and uh, two sons, two daughters, and they're going to, uh, it's not all laid out. We don't know what's going to happen. There's an element of mystery to it. We're not promised tomorrow. That's why today's the day of salvation, amen? Today's the day to get right with God and be right with God. Today's the day to be in church on Wednesday night. So if Jesus comes back tonight, at least he catches you in church, amen? Hope the rapture happens when we're in church. But all of us have to admit there's a sense of mystery with our lives. We don't know what's going to happen. And you know what? That's a good thing for two reasons. Number one, that keeps life exciting. Could you imagine if you did have a manual, you had an itinerary, you had a blueprint? Oh, it looks like Tuesday, I'm dying. That's a bummer. Guess I ain't paying that visa bill. If we had a blueprint, if we had, you know, if we had it all laid out, that would take the excitement out of life. The sense where there's mystery of what, what's God going to do? And like how many, you know, of us that are getting older would say, you know, the mystery and the excitement of life unfolding has made life an exciting journey. How many would say that? Amen? Children being born, grandchildren, you know, job opportunities, mental illness. I wasn't pointing at you, Glenn. But... That keeps life exciting, so that's a good thing. The second reason it's a good thing is this, because if we did know all the details that of our lives laid out like a novel, we would mess things up. Do you know why we have to have a sense of mystery and we don't know everything? Because if we did, we would mess things up. We would try to be the assistant Holy Spirit and help God along. And I guarantee we would make everything into a hot mess. So God lets us know what we need to know when we need to know it. Oh, Pastor, I don't have the answer to this. Well, then you don't need to know right now. You didn't like that answer either, huh? But the truth is we don't know certain things because if we did, uh, we would mess it up. So, you know, there is a degree of mystery in all of our lives, and it's good. It keeps life exciting. It keeps us from, you know, getting ahead of God. It keeps us from messing things up. Now, verse 5 affirms the point that... What Paul has discovered here is, in fact, revelation. Listen to verse 5. Which in other generations was not made known to mankind. So there it is, revelation, apocalypsis. What does that mean? It's a revealing, an uncovering of something that was previously unknown. And verse 5 is exactly showing that this is revelation. Which in other generations was not made known to mankind as it has now been revealed to 
his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So, uh, you know, what we have here is revelation. It's things that were formerly not known that are being made known. And there's still things in scripture that are written that are coming to pass. Uh, Many of us are students of eschatology. We study the end times. That's an exciting topic. Anybody want to know what's coming? Amen. Jesus is returning. Anyone looking? Are we looking for him? So, eschatology, you know, we look into that, and everyday things are falling into place. There were times and seasons in man's existence where we couldn't understand the application of Scripture. You know, a great example is the nation of Israel being born in the day uh, when, you know, Israel was scattered all over the world, yet, you know, I believe after World War II, I think it was 1948, in a day they become a nation, fulfilling a prophecy. You know, before that, you know, scholars and Bible teachers and people who studied eschatology couldn't even understand about a national Israel because it didn't exist in the earth. But yet in a heartbeat, in an instant, a nation is born in a day, fulfilling Scripture, uh, allowing us to have a little bit more clarity into the end times. And things are still being revealed and falling into place, and that's an important thing for us to understand. Uh, what God has revealed here to the Apostle Paul and to the other apostles and the prophets revealed for the first time at the precise moments in history, and that's revelation. Now, just a word of caution When God reveals to us, you know, what God reveals to us today is not revelation in the sense because everything that has been revealed has been revealed in the word of God. What God reveals to us today is illumination, that he takes what's revealed in the word and makes it come alive to us and make sense to us, and he illuminates what's already written in the word. Why is it important that we understand this? Why? Because, you know, too many Christians walk around saying, I got a revelation, I got a revelation. Listen, it's an illumination because whatever God tells you has to line up with Scripture. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not of God. Get this, I can't walk around and go, you know what, Uh, you know, God spoke to me and I penned this book, the first book of Rick to the Lagrangians. And, uh, you know... I'm working on the second epistle, but, you know, we got this one now, and it's equal to Scripture. Wrong. That's how cults start. And if you study cults and world religions and stuff, I got a revelation. I got this, whether it's the Book of Mormon or, you know, this guy who God spoke to me, and I got a revelation. No, you didn't. Revelation is, co- is closed. The, the 66 books that are part of the canon of the Bible are closed. We're not adding more books to Scripture. In fact, the scripture says that if we add or take away anything from this book, it'll be a curse to us. There again, if you study cults and world religions, they say, I got a revelation. I got a new book. I'm adding it to scripture. But yeah, we got the King James Bible, but we got the Book of Mormon, or we got the King James Bible, or, but you know, we got the Jehovah's Witness understanding of it, or, or we got, you know, the Catholics will say that church teaching and the Pope speaking ex cathedra uh, can, is infallible, and church teaching and what the Pope says is equal in weight to scripture. Wrong. Nothing is equal in weight to Scripture. Not one jot or tittle will pass away from God's Word, amen. We can't add to it, and we can't take away from it. If God shows us something, he's illuminated what's already written. And if it contradicts this, it's not of God. So 
Revelation is important for us to understand, important for us to say. Be careful of people who say they got a revelation. Maybe they're misusing the word, or maybe they're crazy. But test the spirits. We're supposed to test the spirits. Oh, but it's in the Christian bookstore. It's Zondervan Publishing. It's got to be true. I read it on the internet. It's got... Test the spirits. Make sure it lines up with this. I've seen Christians that seasoned saints have been saved for decades fall for stuff written by Christian authors. Look, paper never refused ink. People can write whatever they want. But it doesn't make it the word of God. Test the spirits. Revelation is closed. We have 66 books that make the word of God. God is illuminating things to us from the word. Everything he shows us is written in there. It's in the prophets. It's in, uh, you know, it's in the scripture, and he will show it to us by illumination. But Paul is actually receiving revelation. God is actually speaking through him and penning scripture. Do you see the difference? Okay, good. Uh, so let's just keep going here. Uh, we talked about the, you know, the, Revelation being complete. Let me just read to you to solidify this whole point of what I just laid down here. Revelation 22, 18 through 19. This is where it talks about adding or subtracting anything specifically to the book of Revelation, but also to the word of God as a whole. It says this in Revelation 22, 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So very serious. God takes his word and the integrity of it very seriously. Now let's move on to verse 6 here. We're making our way through. Hang in there. We're going to all survive tonight. Uh, Verse 6 gives three specifics about the mystery of, this apocalypsis that has been revealed, and it has to do with the inclusion of non-Jews in the family of God. That's, you know, kind of the theme of what's going on here. Verse 6 says, to be specific. Don't you love when Paul gets specific? Amen. It's nice when things are just laid out clearly. I'm not saying the word of God can be confusing, but there are some parts of the Pauline epistles where Paul goes on these theological run-on sentences where, you know, you really have to slow down to pull it all apart to get what's in there. I like it plain and simple, and he says right here, to be specific, I I really like that, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So specifically, the mystery has three parameters. What? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body of Christ, and fellow partakers of the promises. Did you get that? Let's just look at those a little bit. What does that mean, fellow heirs? Well, the Jews had an inheritance in God. Why? Through the Abrahamic covenants, through the covenants that were laid out, they were grafted into God, into the blessing of God. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make you a great nation. Your descendants will be more numerous than the sands of the sea. Come on. All of these covenant promises, they had an inheritance waiting for them in heaven. If you were a Jewish person in covenant relationship with God, heaven was yours to gain. And it was part of your inheritance that you had. Now, Gentiles are grafted in through the blood of the lamb, and we are now fellow heirs with our Jewish brothers and sisters. Amen. 
we are going to receive an inheritance in heaven. That's a good thing. You might be flat broke. Your financial portfolio might just have dust in it. You might open your wallet and moths come out. But I want to tell you something today. You are rich in the things of God. You are wealthy in the things of God. And when you step out of this life into eternity, there is going to be an inheritance with your name on it, a mansion with your name on it, a part in the house of God with your name on it, a seat at the table with your name on it. I wish there were some Christians here tonight. What else? We're fellow members of the body of Christ. That's a beautiful thing too. This tapestry of, of, of living stones that are built together to make a temple, the body of Christ. We're part of the family of God. And that's, you know, that's, a, that's an awesome thing too. God didn't save us and make us orphans and leave us all on our own. He's made us part of a family. You know, as the days get darker, the more precious the body of Christ becomes to believers. Amen? Because why? There's a polarization going on in the world. The, the, the light is getting lighter and the dark is getting darker. And there's a separation of the two. That polarization that's taking place is, is necessary. Why? Because, you know, things have to come to pass for Jesus to return, for the, uh, the tribulation to take place. There needs to be a separating. There needs to be a great falling away. Those who are in the church that are really just pretending, but they're not in relationship. Uh, understand this polarization that's taking place is part of the end time season that we're in. Now, the body of Christ is going to be so precious as it gets darker. Why? Because the fellowship and the encouragement and the strength we have in being one and having each other is going to just be a precious thing. Amen? You say, well, what makes it like that? Persecution, crisis, hardship, tribulation, supply chain issues, empty bread lines, uh, empty shelves, no chips for the cars. We're going to be riding horses soon. Fellow heirs, fellow members of the body of Christ, and number three, the third part of the mystery, fellow partakers of the promises. You know, this alludes to the fact that those covenants that we had no access to before because we were on the outside looking in, the, you know, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the, the Mosaic law covenant, the Davidic covenant, all of these things that the Jews could rest on and say, we have a, we have a signed deal brokered between us and God, how we relate. Now we have access to those covenant promises, Amen. And whether we know it or not, that's an awesome thing, amen? Uh, because without covenant, we can't relate to God. We are under the new and better covenant, the, co the covenant of the blood of the lamb, amen? And, and, you know, all of what comes with that, uh, we are partakers in those promises. Verses 7 through 9 list three details about the grace on Paul's life as a result of his calling. Listen, uh, you know, these last verses that we're going to cover here. Uh, Paul says, of which I was made a minister. You know, he's already said, you know, um, I'm not just a servant. I'm not just, you know, I'm not just a, a, an apostle, but I'm a prisoner of Christ. And then he says, you know, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of of his power. So it was grace that made Paul a minister. Understand that any of us uh, who find our way and our purpose and our position in the body of Christ will find it by the grace of God. 
Paul wasn't made a minister because he was so highly educated. Paul wasn't made a minister because he had the, you know, the, the moral resolution or the intellectual capacity to do the job. He was made a not because he was even worthy. He was totally unworthy. He was killing Christians. The insanity of taking a guy who's murdering Christians and saying, well, we're going to make him a pillar in the church. It was grace that made Paul a minister. And it's grace that allows us to accomplish our ministries. Number two, God's grace was something Paul felt personally unworthy of. Look what he says. To me, he's talking about himself, Paul. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. Uh, Just a little flashback to last week. Remember, we're all saints, amen? Not because we're good, not because we do miracles, not because we live courageous faith not because we got voted by a board and canonized to be a saint. We're saints because when we're in Christ under the blood, God sees us as holy. He sees us as saints, amen. Paul writes to the epistles, to the saints at Philippi, to the saints at Galatia, to the saints, you know, wherever. He's talking to the saints. That's you and I. He, He says here, I'm the least of all saints. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given. Paul felt personally unworthy of the grace of God. You say, well, you know, what does he have, an issue with self-loathing? Or he, you know, he needs to get a hug from his mother. He needs to love himself. He needs psychotherapy. No, he has a right understanding of the grace of God. None of us deserve it. None of us are worthy of it. In fact, people who believe they're worthy of it scare me. Oh, I deserve this. Yeah, yeah, I'm the cream of the crop. I'm the top of the, you know, I'm not, you know, the, God, you're lucky to have me. I'm happy for you. Just a lost sinner, a crazy Gentile, outside of the covenant connection to God, not one of God's people, a child of wrath, out of step with everything in the kingdom of God. Yet God had pulled me out of the muck and mire. God pulled you out of the muck and mire. He took you out. He took us out and made us trophies of his grace. Amen. (laughs) The devil thought, I got you. The world said there's no hope for you. Everyone looked at you and said, you're never going to amount to anything. But God said, watch this. And he plucked you out and he he dusted you off and he made you his very own child and filled you with his Holy Spirit and said, you're mine now. I've marked you. That's grace. So it was grace that made Paul a minister. Paul didn't feel personally worthy of God's grace. There again, he's not just being melodramatic. He's not, you know, feigning humility. This is his honest heart here. Uh, and it's a good heart for us to have to realize that we were unworthy. You say, why, Pastor? Why do we have to feel that way? So we're thankful for what we have in Christ. Amen, Ray. You clap, brother. The grace given to Paul was for a specific reason. Now, look at what it says here. This grace was given to me so I can make a big name for myself and start a worldwide ministry and have my own jet. Some of you need to smile so badly. No, That's not why the grace was given to him. So I got to have a worldwide ministry so I could be on Christian television, so I got to have my own radio program, so I could be a household name. No, the grace was given to him to preach to the Gentiles. 
Realize that every grace we're afforded in life is given to us for a purpose. It's to equip us and empower us for ministry. We're not blessed just to be blessed, to be reservoirs, to say, oh, look at all the blessings on me. Come and check out my blessings. Want to see my gifts? I got a lot of gifts. I'll show you my gifts. No, it's for ministry. It's to produce fruit. Some people say, well, why don't I have any gifts? Why don't I have any ministry? Well, maybe God needs to deal with your pride first because every time he gives you something, you puff yourself up over it and think, look at me. Woo, everybody look at me. That, that gets you nowhere in the kingdom of God. Samuel said to Saul, when you were little in your own sight, were you not made king over all of Israel? <whistles> don't get too big for your britches. Stay little in your own sight, Amen. It's something that all of us have to struggle with. Why? Because we have pride, because we see God using us and we get excited, and for a moment we think it's us. We have gifts and we have, you know, uh, opportunities and abilities and we bear fruit. But Paul says, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. Uh, I love how, he, how this verse describes what's available to us in the grace of God. Look what it says. The, the unfathomable riches of Christ, that's powerful. Oh, you know, I, I know what I got in Jesus. I know what gifts I have. I know, you know, I'm just kind of insignificant, just plodding my way through life, just hoping to make it to heaven someday. You no, know, you're not small. You're not insignificant. You have been given unfathomable riches in Jesus Christ. And you and I get to discover the riches of his grace every day that we walk close with him, amen. Verse 9 rounds out the section. I'm going to bring it in for a landing here. It says, and to enlighten all people as to what the plan of the mystery is, which is for the ages has been hidden in God. So there again, this element of mystery, there's a lot of that. Not that there's mysticism involved here or spiritualism or some kind of, you know, weird new age nonsense. No, the mystery is in the revelation that's being uh, exposed by the Holy Spirit for such a time as this. Uh, the, verse 9 rounds out the section with a few powerful points. Number one, the gospel brings enlightenment to those who are in the dark. Look what it says here. And to enlighten all people. Everywhere the gospel is preached, people's eyes are open spiritually. Everywhere the gospel is preached, the light shines in the darkness, and people who are blind now see. When you and I were lost and going in circles and trying to find significance in life, we were blinded, what, by the God of this world. And we couldn't see. Why? Because we were in darkness. But the minute the gospel came and the light of Jesus Christ shined into us, now we could see and we were enlightened. <laughs> You're enlightened tonight. Woo, a lot of smart people out there understanding kingdom things and kingdom principles and spiritual things seeing in the light and being able to identify darkness, enlightenment. Number two, the gospel reveals God's plan for mankind and for individuals. Look what it says, what the plan of the mystery is. So there again, this idea of, you know, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, when you're in Christ and you're walking with the Lord, that doesn't become an issue anymore. Why? Because the mystery is revealed to us, maybe not all at once, but step by step, Amen. I'm thankful I don't know some things, but I'm thankful I know enough of what I need to know to find significance in the moment. And that's, you know, this idea that the gospel uh, reveals God's plan to us as individuals. 
Number three, and I close with this, it's an awesome time to be alive. Because so many things that were hidden for centuries are now being revealed in, uh, in these last days. And the clarity and the focus of, of God's word coming to pass before us, even at an accelerated pace, you say, well, it's getting really dark out there. The darker it gets, the more profound the light can shine into the darkness. So it's an exciting time to be alive, this last day's clarity that we have, the scriptures coming to pass all around us every day, the sharper focus we have, and, and all of it is to get us ready and to prepare us as a bride because Jesus is coming back to take his church home to be with him. It says, for which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Well, the hidden things are being illuminated to us. The revelation of God is being revealed to us at these times. It's an exciting time to be alive. Stay close to Jesus. Stay in love with Jesus. Stay hot for Jesus. And share Jesus with everyone you can. Amen. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for Ephesians chapter 3. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you delivered it to us in a way that encourages us, that excites us, that challenges us. Father, let us pursue you with passion. Let us see ourselves as Paul saw himself, not just as a servant or a minister or having a title, but as as a bondservant, as a slave, as a prisoner to the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's our purpose to share our faith, to shine our light, and to produce fruit in making converts. He who wins souls is wise. Help us to be wise in these last days, to use our time and our energy and our talents and our gifts and our opportunities to inject the gospel into every situation. I pray it in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. Amen.